Thursday, Britain votes on whether they will leave the European Union. This has been a tremendous debate and a tremendous, uh, well, let's be honest, in in the end, uh, one politician lost her life uh, in this debate. It has become just passion-laced and some fearing that there's too much passion and not enough logic. To talk more about all of this, Dr. Mike P. Moffat is with us, Assistant Professor, Business Economics and Public Policy Group, Ivy Business School, Western University, and on the line with us now. Good afternoon, Mike. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for taking the time to join us. What will, I mean, a lot of us are just sitting here on this side of the pond and kind of watching curiously as to what's going on over there. Do we realize the impact that this could have if, in fact, they decide to leave the European Union? Yeah, I I don't think we're uh, paying enough attention to this. Uh, The economic uh, ramifications uh, would be huge. Uh, This would create a lot of uncertainty because after a, a vote, after a yes to leave vote, uh, there will be two years of negotiation on, on what the, the terms of leaving would be. And as well, uh, the European Union is very popular in Scotland. So there is a concern that if Britain decides to leave the EU, that this might uh, re-engage that uh, Scottish national uh, nationalism debate and, and Scottish separatism. So there's a lot of unknowns here should uh, Britain decide to uh, leave the EU. You bring up a valid point because it was always Scotland that was talking about this at some point or another. Uh, surprised that Britain is taking this avenue. And, and, and how, how do you describe the legs this movement has? Well, I mean, this, this is going to be a close vote. Uh, there's a lot of sort of backlash uh, right now towards the European Union. Uh, people are, are just feeling, particularly in, in England, uh, a little bit powerless, that a lot of decisions uh, get made in Brussels about things like, like immigration, about policies, uh, you know, all kinds of EU policies. You know, there's one famous one about uh, you know, the correct and curvature uh, to call a banana a banana. You know, there are regulations that come out of and there are a lot of people who are just uh, fed up with it and said, you know what, we think this is more trouble than it's worth. So uh, you said the first two years, if this does go through and it does happen, if Britain does leave the European Union, that there'll be two years of negotiation and obviously some instability. After that, any idea? No, because it will really um, it will really determ- be determined by what those terms of the negotiation are. And mm-hmm. here's the sort of ironic thing that uh, you know if, if the negotiation ends up being that although Britain uh, isn't in the EU, but they still have a free trade agreement with the EU and some labor market agreements, there would be a lot less instability. But it would also reduce the benefit of, of leaving the EU because you'd still have a lot of you know a lot of harmonization uh, with the EU. If, on the other hand, Britain decides to say, you know what, we're really going to you know, move away from this, or if Europe, uh, the rest of Europe decides to play hardball with Britain and said, no, you're leaving, you, know, you no longer uh, have access to our financial markets, uh, you no longer uh, have access to our labor markets, uh, there would be quite a bit of economic stability as companies sort of you know, struggle and try and figure out uh, how this would affect their, their supply chains and their operations. Is this emotional or logical? Oh, I, I, it's absolutely emotional. Uh, no question that uh, people are, are picking sides. 
um, for uh, largely sort of identification reasons that uh, people are, are wanting uh, to leave because, again, they, they, they feel, and again, somewhat rightfully so, that a lot of their decisions are being made for them in Brussels and, and are in their interests. And, and the people who are wanting to stay, uh, they're more wanting to stay uh, because they see the value, uh, sort of the emotional value in being in this this European project. So it, it's like I would say any referendum, you know, whether it be you know, Quebec nationalism or Scottish separatism, is more based on these issues of identity than it is on, you know, sounds or economic policy. How has the death of politician Joe Koch changed this discussion? Well, uh, first of all, it, it stopped the discussion uh, for for a few days. Yeah. But I think everybody's sort of pulling back and going, "Okay, I, the rhetoric on all sides is getting a little bit overheated." So. You had uh, politicians in the U.K. on the Leave side, you know, saying in their speeches, you know, make references to, to blood in the street and, uh, you know, call uh, the, the people who, who wanted to stay in the EU, call them, call them traitors and saying that they would pay. And this, you know, finally happened. And I think you're starting to see the Leave side, but even the Remain side, start to temper their language a little bit and say, you know, we, we have to be a little bit responsible because there are those extremist elements on both sides who start to take some of this language literally. Could we see this coming? Well, I, I, I think so. It's just one of those things that, uh, in, in retrospect, you go, you know what? Maybe we should have saw this uh, saw this coming. Um, just just given the, the, the rhetoric, and I think it's important uh, on all sides that we sort of temper this. Uh, for instance, you know, we hear a lot uh, in Alberta um, arguments on, on both sides of the carbon tax issue, and that rhetoric's getting a little bit overheated. You know, Premier Notley um, has been you know receiving basically death threats, and, and politicians have been receiving threats on, on both sides. And I think this is, should be a wake-up call to Canada that, you know, maybe on some of these issues, you know, we can, uh, we, we can have a healthy debate, you know, we can feel passionately, but not stir up, uh, you know, not stir up these feelings by, by using uh, overheated rhetoric. Or like by putting a picture of Ra- Rachel Notley out on a golf course where you can hit the head. And, uh, uh, yeah. had, you know, had we not seen uh, what happened in Britain, I, I don't think that becomes a story. But now, good point. All, yeah, exactly. I think we're all looking at this now. And, you know, she's not the first politician that's happened to. I saw one of uh, Rob Ford years ago when he was mm-hmm. mayor. Um, so I, I think a number of us, uh, you know, politicians and, and consultants and uh, analysts, are really starting to to rethink uh, the way that we we talk about politicians uh, simply because they they're people like all of us they they have families you know this thing these things really affect them. How do you think Mark Carney's feeling these days? <laughs> oh, I, 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 he's sort of one challenge to another. So I mean, he's in a, a difficult position in a couple ways. The, the, first of all. Uh, the Bank of uh, England should nominally be neutral, though they've made it pretty clear that they would uh, prefer that the EU stay in. But as well, he's coming at this as a foreigner, so he's, he's kind of, you know, representing, trying to represent England, yeah. by the, you know, despite the fact that, uh, you know, he, he, he's a kid from Alberta, Northwest Territories. Uh, should world leaders be weighing in on this? 
I think they should, but I think they need to be very, very careful uh, because uh, UK voters are not going to want Canadians or Americans or anyone else telling them uh, what to do. So I think they have to be particularly careful in their language. The same way that uh, you know, if uh, if a Barack Obama or a Donald Trump uh, started weighing in on Canadian politics, you know, we, we might start to question that a little bit. So I think it's fair if, if um, you know Canada, the United States, anyone else uh, has their opinions. But I think in expressing those opinions, they may have to make it perfectly clear that uh, they understand and recognize that this is Britain's decision to make and Britain's decision alone. Will this be like uh, Canada's relation with Quebec? Will this be an ongoing thing? Do you think even if it, whatever way it goes this time, it'll continue to be a discussion or a threat? Well, that's one of the reasons why I'm hoping uh, this vote in either direction ends up being a little bit more decisive than it appears it's going to be. This is a lot like the Quebec referendum where, you know, it's 50.5 uh, percent one way, 49.5 percent the other way. I think this is an ongoing discussion. If this gets a little clearer, um, this might sort of buy the way out. But overall, there's going to be some tensions here uh, ongoing. And I think the biggest tensions are going to be within the uh, the U.K.'s Conservative Party, uh, which is split uh, pretty much up the middle with uh, David Cameron uh, calling this a uh, referendum, despite the fact he's on the um, on the stay side, because half of his own party, uh, including the justice minister who's who's leading uh, the Leave side, so uh, I think there's you know, there's going to be sort of ongoing tensions in that party, particularly if this is a close vote. When when the EU was formed, and we remember everybody, uh, you know, ranting and raving about how this was the thing to do, could we have ever predicted this at that point? I don't think we could uh, have predicted that it, this issue would be quite so heated. Now, uh, when the U.K. joined the market, uh, there was actually a referendum about a year later about whether or not to stay in, um, and they voted about 65 to 67 percent uh, to stay in. So I think after that, uh, it was sort of seen as a done issue, particularly when, when Margaret Thatcher, who's all, you know, who had always been a Eurosceptic, you know, all the time she was prime minister, she never uh, pulled or even attempted to pull the U.K. out of the European Union. So it had kind of seen at that point that, OK, well, if Thatcher's not going to do it, nobody will do it, that this is just a, a dead issue. I think why this got re-inflamed is that after the 2008 recession, um, all of a sudden, you know, you, you've bought this European Union who frankly, dealt with the recession poorly. You had countries like Greece and Italy start to become insolvent. Uh, you had these issues around refugees. And again, all of a sudden, uh, you, people saw this. If you were living in the U.K., you really started to think, okay, well, maybe this is more trouble than it's worth, that, you know, over the last five years, uh, things are getting uh, de demonstrably worse. A lot of that's the EU's fault. You know, maybe we should consider leaving. Is this about change? Do you think people just want change? I mean, we're seeing it. We saw it in Canada at the last election. We're seeing uh, lots of controversy in the United States in regard to this. Do you think people are just, as you said, post-2008, haven't seen much an improvement, want to shake things up? 
I think that's the, that's exactly what this is, and I think it, it's more to do with that narrative or that feeling of wanting change and feeling powerless than it is to anything specific to the EU. I think the same types of voters who are feeling disenfranchised in the UK and are, are, are voting leave are the same kinds of voters in the U.S. feeling disenfranchised and we're looking at Trump or in many cases looking at Bernie Sanders saying, you know what, we need to shake things up. Here's a guy who will do it for us. That being said, we've heard many times people don't like change. What perpetuates them? What what all, all of a sudden makes them, uh, What break? what's the straw that breaks the camel's back? I, I think it's just, again, when, when you have a big crisis like you had in, in 2008, uh, you had the financial crisis, and you saw that governments uh, are, are powerless to do anything about it. You know, we, we saw that. In the Great Depression, you know, with the rise of fascism, uh, of, of countries just saying, well, you know, clearly the established political order can't deal with this. We need to do something new. Now, fortunately, this is, you know, in the U.K., in the U.S., this is nowhere near that level. But it's still that same idea of, okay, uh, the, the, the powers that be are either incompetent or or they're they're they uh, or they're corrupt. We've got to shake up the system. So again, it's just once things get bad enough, and I think for at least parts of the population in the UK and the US, that's where we are. So, uh, want to place a bet? What will the UK look like a week from now? Uh, I I think Remain will win. I think. Uh, overall, referendums have a way that people blink at the last minute, that they go, change, change, change. Yeah. And as you describe, that you get those voters who are going, you know what, uh, maybe this is starting to look a little too risky. So they either uh, switch their vote or decide not to show up at all. You know, we, we saw this in the Quebec referendum in 1980 and 1995, where uh, the, uh, you know, the big change option didn't do as well in the ball- ballot box uh, as, as the polls indicated. So my guess is uh, Remain wins maybe that 55 to 56 percent area. Uh, we were talking about the death of politician Joe Cox. It happened, obviously, towards the end of this debate. Uh, you know, I, I'm looking at the news now. There's memorials uh, happening for her this week. Obviously, on Thursday is the vote. How crucial is that event to this? I mean, do you think this is going to change the mood in the last, say, 72 hours? I, I think it will. I think uh, people who are on uh, the fence about leaving uh, may not show up to vote or may change their vote. That uh, they're starting to, you know, have that sober second thought of, well, you know, maybe this isn't really based on any sort of logic and reason. You know, maybe this is just based on anger. And, uh, you know, we don't want to make those decisions in anger because I think we've all had that in our personal life where, uh, you know, we, we've made a decision when we were mad, but that wasn't, uh, you know, that, that wasn't the best way to do things. So I think overall that's, and we're starting to see it in the polls, that's starting to move people to the Remain side because, uh, you know, the Leave side is, is starting to be seen uh, as being full of extremists. Uh, at the end of the day, you were talking about this sending, setting a trend or, or starting a trend rather or sending a signal to others within the European Union like Scotland, what have you. Uh, how does this affect the rest of the European Union depending upon how uh, they vote, if they're in and if they're out? 
Yeah, well, I, I do think uh, a leave trend uh, might, in, or a leave vote could start a trend. Uh, you have other governments uh, that are a little bit Euroskeptical or have strong opposition parties uh, that are Euroskeptical, Euro-skeptical, uh, uh, anywhere from Finland, uh, Hungary, uh, France, uh, with uh, Marie Le Pen. Overall, you've got these Euroskeptics. So if we see one country leave, uh, or start to negotiate leave. And, it look, and if it looks like those negotiations start to be in that country's favor, maybe some other countries that ha- are having these economic problems uh, start to look and say, you know what, maybe we'd be better off on our own too. So I think we might mm-hmm. see that. And again, in, in Britain, I think the issue becomes that uh, the European Union is more popular outside of England uh, than, than in England. So you're not just your Scotland, but your Northern Ireland and your Wales, you know, maybe that starts to stir up that, uh, that separatist sentiment. So uh, what, what about life for the EU after uh, England leaves? I mean, um, is there stability there? How strong is the EU without England? Well, it's it, it certainly weakened. Uh, no, no question it's weakened. While uh, the European, uh, well, England or, or Britain does not use the euro, uh, there's a lot of financial and trade integration w- which goes away. So, uh, you know, once Britain's out, uh, if you're a company and you're in Europe, you know, you're going to have to comply with different sets of laws if you're in France, England, or Britain, or so on. So that area looks uh, a lot less attractive if you're an investor rather than going to the United States or, or somewhere else. It's a, it becomes a weakened uh, continent. It becomes essentially a smaller continent and a worse place to do business because you're trying to comply with uh, an additional set of laws. So I think overall it becomes messy. Uh, economic reports I've seen suggest that um, in the UK, uh, GDP would go down about 3% by 2030, and you would see a, a smaller but still significant decline in the rest of the EU uh, due to this fracture. Dr. Mike P. Moffat has been with us, Assistant Professor of Business, Economics, and Public Policy Group, Ivy Business School, Western University, talking about Britain and, of course, their future in the EU. We find out on Thursday. Mike, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Well, thank you for having me.